Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined by somebody who came on the program before the draft to go through some of the prospects, most specifically Quinnen Williams and Nick Bosa. And since training camp is right around the corner and we are about to see these rookies in action, I wanted to have him back on the show so he could talk about what he thinks of what the Jets actually did in the draft and what Jets fans should expect from these players in their rookie seasons. Of course, I'm talking about YouTube sensation and Battle Red blog superstar for SB Nation, one of my favorites at breaking down film. In fact, I think he's about as good as there is out there. Nobody tell Joe Blewett. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Brett Coleman. Brett, what's going on, buddy? Thank you for coming back to the show. I'm doing great, and uh, speaking of Joe Blewett, I'm happy that the Jets didn't blow it, and they just took Quinnen. They made the easy decision, they saved us all a lot of heartbreak, and they just, they took the best player. I was, I, I knew immediately, as soon as they took Quinnen, I was like, alright, they're going to be happy, the, the Jets are going to be okay, this was all before the Adam Gase shit, but <laughs> for, for at least one night I felt really good about Jets fans, I was like, alright, they, they did it, they, they're okay. Yeah, we were pretty happy that night, and watching your video is the perfect introduction for somebody if they wanted to know exactly why Joe and I were so happy about that draft pick. So I know that you and I went over Quentin Williams in great detail the last time you were on the show, but now that he's actually going to be a Jed, I wanted to pick your brain on this. I know you think he can be a very special player. Tell me a little bit about what you see his role being in this Greg Williams defense. Do you think that he has the potential to maybe even make a Pro Bowl right out of the gate as a first-year player? Oh, easily. A- absolutely. I mean, he's he's the best defensive tackle I've seen since Aaron Donald. And I know when Aaron Donald was coming out, not everybody was super high on him. You know, he went in the middle of the first round for, for a reason, I guess. Personally, I had him as a top-five pick. And this is the first defensive tackle I've seen since then where – I 100%, no doubt about it, knew that this kid was going to be a future All-Pro, just like Aaron. And it, it's it's a, it's a once every five or six year kind of defensive tackle. So for the Jets to land him, a, a true franchise-changing player is, is huge. Uh, as for what role he'll play, part of the reason why I had him so high on my board, aka first overall, is because it doesn't matter what role he plays. He can do anything. It doesn't matter what your scheme is. doesn't matter... You know, what kind of personnel groupings you like, uh, whether you're blitz heavy or you just rush forward, you play cover three, if you play, you know, cover two and you're, and you're you know, in under fronts all game long and they're doing that whole play the run on the way to the quarterback kind of style like you used to see in their late 90s, early 2000s. It doesn't matter what your defense is. He fits everybody. You want him to play as a two-gapping five technique, he can do that. You want him to play as a one-gapping three technique, he can do that. You want him as a cock nose in a four-man front, he can do that. Uh, you know, Leonard is, is kind of the same way where he's very versatile. I, I wouldn't say Leonard has lived totally up to his potential yet, but he's still a good player in my mind and he's still extremely versatile. And so to me, the strength of the Jets defensive line at this moment is that they can kind of do whatever they want. You know, you, you can game plan a little bit more and you have more wiggle room in your game plan with a very versatile defensive line, so you can come out in all these different looks. It's harder to prepare for. You can do last-minute shifts during cadences to screw with protections. You know, you're not locked into one single look all the time, and it's that's a huge asset for Greg's for Greg Williams. And I, I want to point out that 
Greg Williams had Aaron Donald as a rookie and used him all over the place as a rookie and to, to great success. So I think he, he knows how to use a talent like this, a defensive tackle, and I think he's going to get the most out of him as, as a rookie. I know that you've talked about the various ways in which he can get to the quarterback, but I think there's still a lot of Jets fans that are suffering from PTSD in terms of all the interior defensive linemen that this team has drafted that didn't turn out to be that magic superstar pass rusher that this team has been wanting for a really long time. Some of the Jets fans that are still thinking this way, can you put their minds at ease a little bit? Explain what your expectations are of Quentin Williams as far as his ability to get to the quarterback and why your expectations are as high as they are. I mean, people, it's hard to find a superstar interior pass rusher. It's one of the hardest things to find in all of football. There's less of them than there is of almost anything else. Like, how many superstar defensive tackles that can really get the quarterback can you name off the top of your head? It's it's basically Aaron Donald, maybe Geno Atkins. You know, the injury to his ACL kind of derailed the last few years, but, you know, he's starting to kind of get back into form. Um, there was Gerald McCoy early in his career, Nadama Kungsu early in his career, but they never really sustained it like Aaron did. Um, it's... It's like maybe three or four guys, maybe. So it's extremely hard to find that kind of guy. So I wouldn't really blame the Jets for not having one because 90% of the league doesn't have one. But now they do. They have Quinn and they have a true bona fide, in my opinion, future superstar pass rusher. He's got power. He's explosive. His technique and instincts are phenomenal. Um, he's, he's really, he's not somebody you have to develop as kind of like, you know, those raw freak athletes. Like he's already a freak athlete, but he's already technically developed. He started his career as an edge rusher and then put on weight. You know, he put on like 40 pounds in one off season, converted to defensive tackle and then became a top five pick. Like he is just scratching the surface of what he can be. And he's already the best defensive tackle prospect I've seen in years. So it, I don't want to say he's bust proof. But he's pretty damn close to bus proof. That's how damn good he is. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. There are people that will say if he doesn't get double-digit sacks almost every season, then he isn't the player that they should have taken and they should have gone with somebody like Josh Allen who might have the potential to do that or somebody else that they may have preferred. Although, ironically, and we're going to get to this, the Jets got a guy that might fit that mold in Ja'Kai Polite later in the draft. Do you think he has the potential to be that type of player, to be a guy that can be a 8, 9, 10 or more sack type player on a yearly basis? Yes, absolutely. And and even, let me put it this way, if Josh Allen gets 12 sacks a year coming off the edge, which is pretty good, you know, it's, it's hard to get 12 sacks a year annually, um, and, you know, Quinnen Williams gets 10, you might on the surface say, well, Josh Allen's getting more sacks, but... Interior pressure is a hell of a lot more valuable than exterior pressure because interior pressure is what keeps a quarterback from stepping up in the pocket. And if a quarterback can't step up, that helps out your edge pressure. So guys like Ja'Kai Polite will be made better players by Quinnen Williams being on the line with him. Whereas edge pressure, if you have good edge pressure, obviously it's a great thing, but it doesn't necessarily help out the interior pressure as much because if they can't push the pocket and the quarterback is able to step up away from that edge pressure, then they're just going to be able to sit there all day and be fine. 
So while interior pressure can kind of flush quarterbacks into exterior pressure, exterior pressure can only really do so much. So you, you have to have guys that can actually win up front in the middle and, and, you know, beat the Quinn and Nelsons of the league, beat the Marshall Yandas of the league and kind of restrict the pocket or, or you're just not going to get any success. So to me, 10 sacks a year from an interior spot is more valuable than 12 sacks a year from an exterior spot. That's just how personally I see team building. And then I think, to be honest, I think the Jets agree because they went after Quinn and Williams over Josh Allen when both were on the board. And with the way the league is changing now, a lot of quarterbacks release the ball quicker, so the interior pressure would mean more. And also, as we know, Brett, your team is the Houston Texans, so Deshaun Watson would be a perfect example of this. Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago, you could name a bunch of other examples, but teams are really incorporating a lot more RPO concepts, and a guy like Quinn Williams is ideally suited to defend that. Yeah, just he, I mean, he's such a freak athlete, um, and he's so smart. He, he recognizes plays extremely fast. Um, he, he's really good against the screen game because he's he's so instinctual. He can kind of feel when a block isn't really a block, and he can kind of shed really quickly and get into throwing lanes and track down running backs. And um, you know, if he's the read man on an RPO, like he's really good at kind of being disciplined, not just to go after the first read, but to kind of like sit on it and either force a handoff or, you know, maybe force the quarterback to think an extra half second to kind of help his defense on the back end cover whoever the intended receiver is. Like, you know, his intelligence is really what's going to help against this kind of modern RPO game more than his athleticism. And But he's got both. What do you think he could do for Leonard Williams? Because... Leonard Williams is somebody some people would say has underachieved. I think that the case for that has been overstated a little bit, but he definitely hasn't put up the type of production that you might expect out of the number six overall pick. But now you put Quinton Williams next to him. I would assume that that's going to open up all kinds of opportunities for Leonard Williams, right? Well, yeah, because you can't really slide to him anymore. You know, I think for a long time, Leonard, he never really had any true help. Uh, you know, they had some some decent rotational players, but they never had any true, like, stars along either the defensive line or, or the linebacking core, in my opinion. Um, and so I think when you have a guy like Quinn and Williams who you will slide his way, like, you, you can't afford not to, it gives Leonard more one-on-ones. And with his quickness, his length, his technique, he's not as explosive as Quinnen. But I think when you have length and technique and you're given a one-on-one, you can work with that. So, again, while he might not be the superstar that maybe some of us expected him to be when he was coming out of USC, the fact that he finally has help and he's not going to be basically the guy that people double-team all day and take their chances with everyone else, uh, I think if people are taking their chances with him now for once, it's going to help him out a lot. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Would you say that teams are going to have, and I'll put this as mildly as I can, trouble running against those two and C.J. Mosley backing them up as an inside linebacker? Uh, To me, if this isn't a top six or seven run defense, then I don't know what the hell's going on because they have every piece (laughs) they need. They've got every piece. I mean, Mosley's a great run-stopping Mike linebacker. Not the best in coverage, but in terms of stopping numbers between the hashes, he's elite. Um, I think Leonard, if you can say anything about Leonard, it's that he's really good as like a stack-and-shed run-stopper. Um, and then Quinnen, obviously, is a beast at everything. So between that trio, you know, whether you're kind of running like 
uh, a balance formation with two two techniques, or you've got one of them at cock nose and one at three technique, or maybe you're doing kind of pre-snap shifts, and then you know CJ's kind of calling the shots with the green dot. Like between that trio on the inside, it's it's really hard to run against that. What do you think about what Quentin Williams will bring to this defense overall in terms of elevating them? into what we would hope would be a top 10 overall defense because you just talked about how you would be surprised if they're not in the top half dozen in the league in run defense do you think that he can help elevate their sack numbers their pressure numbers and just the overall level of the defense to the point where they have a chance to jump up into that top 10 oh absolutely I I think with all the creative blitzes that Williams likes to use you know if you're just rushing four all day with this group, I don't know if they're if they're quite talented enough on the edges to really have success as just a pure drop seven rush four kind of defense. But Greg Williams doesn't run that kind of defense anyway. So he, he brings blitzes, he creates one on ones, um, he uses a lot of stunts and twists and all that kind of stuff, which with that defensive tackle group up front is going to help them out a lot. Um, so I, I think with the style of defense that they run, they will generate a lot of pressure. But the thing is, if you're bringing blitzes over and over and over again, and you're throwing bodies at quarterbacks from all these different angles, it puts a lot of stress on the secondary. Like It's a lot of man-to-man on the backside or zone blitzes where there's maybe a few more creases and, and soft spots than there usually would be. So it really is demanding of the secondary. So it's going to be all on you know Tremaine and Jamal, and hopefully May stays healthy. Like they've got pieces in the secondary to make that style of defense work, but they're going to be under an enormous amount of pressure to kind of cover for the front seven. Because if if they can't cover everybody on those blitzes, it doesn't matter how much pressure they bring; they're not going to get home. One worry that people have had in terms of whoever the Jets would have been drafting is. Greg Williams has said he's going to run a base 3-4 in 2019, but he's typically run a 4-3. And so here's a situation where if he decides to switch after this season or maybe after two seasons as he gradually phases in the 4-3, certain players would fit better than others. But based on what I've observed and certainly what you've observed, you would say that regardless of whether it's a 4-3 or a 3-4, that Quinn and Williams would be an outstanding fit regardless, right? Yeah, he's he's scheme proof. And to be honest, Greg, I mean, he's run both before. He's run hybrid fronts. Like he's in terms of you know four three versus three four. The label doesn't matter as much for him because even if they're running a three four, they run so much nickel anyway with essentially two standing defensive ends and and two defensive tackles. Like it, it might as well be a four three. It's really just a difference in terms of stance. Um, and if you have, if you have both of your outside linebackers, which are essentially acting as defensive ends standing, all that does is make it easier to disguise blitzes. So again, it's not a huge deal. You're going to have guys lining up in the exact same spot and they're going to play so much nickel that you won't really notice a difference. So I'm not worried about it at all. And there are people that are also worried that. He's going to play a significant amount of nose tackle. They'll say he's undersized, that it's not his best fit, and that he's kind of being shoehorned in there because of Henry Anderson and Leonard Williams. But from what I've observed, yes, he'll play a fair amount of zero and one tech, but he's going to play all over the place. Like you said, Williams can shift him all over. Do you see enough scenarios where those three guys can play at the same time 
And do you think that the concerns about Quinn and Williams playing a fair amount of nose tackle, do you think that those concerns hold up at all? Or are people not really paying enough attention to his tape and seeing what needs to be seen there? Yeah, I, I think people, when they think of a nose tackle, they they have an image locked in their mind of, you know, Snacks Harrison. Where it's like, oh, he has to be 320, 330 pounds. He has to be this big clogging force in the middle, which for a lot of systems, yeah, that's true. But there's a lot of systems out there that used undersized penetrating nose tackles because they feel like instead of holding the A-gap, they want to penetrate the A-gap and cause as much disruption as possible. You look at Wade Phillips, he's used undersized nose tackles forever, you know, for, for decades now because he prioritizes disruption over kind of having a pure anchor. Um, you could say the same thing about some of the, you know, the, the Kiffin inspired defenses, those, those old cover twos. Um, Dallas uses the same thing. You know, you don't have to have a huge nose tackle to play nose tackle. It, it just depends on how they're used. If they're using Quinnen as more of a kind of a one gap, get up the field, disrupt the play kind of nose tackle. Yeah, he'll be just fine. And I think in the end, that's probably what they're going to end up doing. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. I just want to point out that if you have not watched Brett's incredible video on Quinn and Williams that he made before the draft, go ahead over to his YouTube channel right now. And in case you don't know how to spell his last name, it could get a little tricky because you hear Coleman and you think like Gary Coleman, but it's K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N. You can go to YouTube and you can find all his videos there, including his Quinn and Williams video and his Aaron Donald video. Now, neither one of us are going to sit here and tell you that he's going to be Aaron Donald, but you watch those two videos back to back and you ask yourself if it's possible. And Brett, I think we both agree that it is not a guarantee, but absolutely within the realm of possibility that he could be Aaron Donald level good. I mean, if 100% was a guarantee, I'd say I'm at like a solid 97 Wow. It's it's pretty damn close. <laughs> well, let's see if you think as highly about the rest of the Jets draft picks. We'll talk a little bit about Ja'Kai Polite first. He was picked 68th overall in the third round. This is a player that I was really banging the drum for once he started to fall because of the pre-draft workouts and the stories about poorly interviewing with teams. Because when you watch his film, you see a guy that's explosive who was able to produce well against both bad and good competition. And as far as I could tell, if those things hadn't happened, if he had had a reasonably good workout and if he had interviewed okay with teams, he very well could have gone right around where Brian Burns did at number 16 because I think him and Burns have very similar skill sets. Talk to me a little bit about what you think of this. Do you think the same that I do, that the Jets very well may have gotten a steal here and that edge rusher that Jets fans were complaining about not getting with the number three overall pick that they used to pick Quinn and Williams? I think, personally, I was lower on Polite than a lot of other people. I had him graded as a second to third round talent, which he went in the third round, so I think that was perfectly fine. Um, in terms of interviews and testing and all that kind of stuff, yeah, that probably hurt him a little bit. Um, but to me, I don't think it dropped him out of the first round. I don't think he would have been a first round pick no matter what. Not that I think he's a bad player. I just think he was maybe a little one-dimensional. Um He's not very big. He's not very long. He's not very strong. Um, I think you can almost kind of compare him to like a Vic Beasley kind of guy where, yeah, there's going to be seasons where he pops off because he's explosive. And if he's going against a really slow footed tackle, he's going to feast on him because he's, he's quick and he's got some bend. But, you know, if he's going against a tackle that outreaches him, which is pretty much all of them, 
Uh, he's not powerful enough to really kind of get in their chest with a one-arm stab and move them uh, back into the pocket. So he can't really make up for his lack of length with power because he doesn't have any. Um, he's not he's not super big. Like he's he's fluid, but not the most fluid. I think when I compare Burns to him, like Burns has the explosiveness, but he's also just flat out bigger and longer. So he's a little bit more versatile. So I think Polite, in Greg Williams' system, he's a good fit because he's going to be seeing a lot more action like in blitz scenarios where you know maybe they're sliding a running back to him or a tight end. I don't think he's going to be going up against as many tackles because, again, there's going to, they're going to be throwing so many bodies at the quarterback that maybe they won't have the ability to put a tackle on him. So if he's going against a running back or a tight end, yeah, he can have a lot of success. But against tackles specifically, especially the good tackles in the league, I'm, I'm not sure if I see that. Who would you compare him to? I know we talked about Quinnen Williams and Aaron Donald a lot as comparison. Who do you look at with Ja'Kai Polite as somebody that, if things go well, he could potentially be that type of player? I mean, like, best case scenario, maybe Bruce Irvin. Uh, worst case scenario, maybe 2018 Vic Beasley. <laughs> so there's a, pretty, there's a pretty wide range in there. That's interesting because my friend Kenny also threw out the Bruce Irvin comparison. He watched a little bit of his film and he said, this kid reminds me of Bruce Irvin, but I'll say this. If he could be Bruce Irvin in the third round, that's pretty good value, right? Yeah, yeah. Like where they got him, I'm talking like the fact that they didn't take him in the first round, that's good. You know, getting him in the third, I had him graded as that kind of pick anyway. So that's to me a perfectly fine value. And I think they're going to use him properly. I just never really saw him as the, you know, top 15 to 20 talent that a lot of other people may have. Do you think that he's a potential 10 sack a year type of guy, or do you think that he more is in the seven to eight type of category? I would be very surprised if he hit 10 a year. I think he's probably somewhere between probably like six to eight. That's totally fine for a third round pick. Oh yeah, no question. What do you think his use is going to be? He's going to just be a rotational piece at first. I think you can try him out as like a Sam backer on early downs uh, where he's really kind of following the tight end around and matching up with them most of the time on rundowns. Um, and then, you know, obviously have him as in on third downs, especially if you're throwing blitz packages at people. Maybe not on third and short, but on third and long, I think you keep him in there. Uh, I'm not sure how he's going to do in coverage, but he's a good enough athlete that I think you can at least try it out and see how he does. So, I would classify him as kind of a borderline starter, rotational player, but only in specific roles. If you want him to play like a wheelbacker in a 3-4, I'm not sure if I'd start him, but I think you could at least rotate him in on third down. Is he a guy who loses a lot of his value if they switch to a 4-3? It kind of depends on if you think he can play 4-3 Sam, which, I mean, keep in mind Vaughn Miller played 4-3 Sam early in his career, and he did pretty damn good at it. So if you use him in the same way where... He's kind of lined up outside the tight end. He's playing contain against the run. And then, you know, you pull a defensive tackle off the field and kind of kick him inside the rush on third downs um, as essentially a pseudo defensive end. You can make that work, but it requires a defensive coordinator that is willing to run that kind of 4-3, which maybe not all are. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Let's move into the third round where the Jets drafted somebody from your neck of the woods, Brett. Chuma Adoga, offensive tackle from USC. 
The scouting report on him seems to be that he's similar to Kelvin Beecham, but maybe a better run blocker. So a guy that could be smooth, maybe not dominant, maybe not somebody that's going to bowl people over, but who could project as a long-term starting tackle. Do you think that's fair? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's got all the tools you want. I think, uh, you know, coming out of USC's offense, he... He's one of the few offensive tackles that actually learned how to drive block in college, which is important to me, um, especially in this system that he's going to be in. Like, you you got to be able to run block. It's not like they're running a pure air raid or anything like that, where it's like, hey, we're throwing 50 times a game. Who cares? Like, you got to be able to run block in this system, especially when you got Le'Veon Bell running that rock. So um, I think that was a good value for them. I had him graded as a third-round pick, and he went in the third round. So perfect in terms of uh, you know draft value, perfect value for him. He's a very high upside developmental tackle. Um, I think as long as the coaches develop him and kind of continue to work on his hand placement, with it, I think might have been the, the problem I had the most with him. Um, yeah, he can absolutely be a starting tackle for a long time. I think Beecham is actually a pretty good comparison. Who, you know, Beecham's not a, a, an elite tackle. Um, he's really, I'd qualify him as more of a good tackle. But if you can get a good tackle in the third round, that's a pretty damn good pick. You think he would project better as a right tackle or a left tackle? I'd put him at right, personally. Your days are numbered, Brandon Shell. <laughs> <laughs> but if he does move over to right tackle, it probably wouldn't be until either Shell gets hurt, which could happen because he's had injury issues, or at the end of the season because Brandon Shell is a free agent. In the meantime, the Jets have a lot of guys on that offensive line who have been injured quite a bit. You've got Shell, you've got Beecham, you've got Brian Winters, and Kalecio Semele. All four of those guys have suffered from a variety of injuries. Do you think that it's possible that at some point Adolga could be ready to play in 2019? Not only a tackle, but I know he was recruited as a guard. Any possibility that in a pinch he could step in at guard a little bit? I think he could, um, and I think he'd probably be a better pass protector uh, not than Osemele, but then, like, I think you use him as, like, a swing tackle and then, like, an emergency backup for winners because I think he can play right guard in a pinch. Um, it, it'll be tough to kind of, if he goes into camp as a guard, it'll be tough to kind of throw him out at tackle in an emergency situation, but I think it's easier to kind of walk on as a tackle and then play guard, then play guard and then go as a tackle because the in terms of the footwork with pass sets and everything, it's really, really different. But to me, if you train him as a right tackle, it's also kind of an emergency left tackle. If you if you only want to carry three tackles, just kind of spitballing here. If you train him as a right tackle who's shells back up and then also have him as kind of an emergency backup right guard for winners, um, I think that can work out perfectly. Osemele, to me, is the best player on that offensive line. I know he had a down year in 2018. And if he stays healthy, you're not going to have to replace him. But I think winners, just with his history, and not to mention he's, to me, he's just okay. Um, I think you can have uh, Adoga come in and be somebody who, I don't want to say he's going to compete for a starting job at two different jobs, but you at least feel reasonably confident that in an emergency situation, he can step in and be okay. How scheme diverse do you think Adoga is? I think he's probably better as a zone blocker than a man blocker, which that's probably what they're going to end up doing more of anyway. Not that he can't do man blocking schemes, but I don't think he's going to be somebody who like, you know, takes a three tech and blows him off the ball. He's really more of the kind of man blocker where you've got him down blocking. He's really playing more to angles and 
almost like walling off defensive tackles and driving them, them off the ball. He knows how to do it technique-wise. So again, I think he's a little bit more advanced than some other tackles. But um, in terms of just natural power, I don't think he quite has that. He's really more of a kind of a wall and seal blocker than a I'm going to put you in the dirt kind of blocker. Let's move on to the fourth round and talk about Trayvon Wesco, who the Jets picked out of West Virginia. He's the second tight end in recent memory that they picked out of West Virginia. And the other one, of course, Anthony Back, who they picked at the end of the first round in 2000. I think if Wesco turned out to be as good as Anthony Beck was as a blocker, most Jets fans would be happy with that because of the fact that Wesco was picked in the fourth as opposed to being picked in the first. I hope that Wesco's hands are a little bit better than Anthony Beck's. And so I wanted to ask you about that before we get to blocking, which is his primary area. What do you think about him as a receiver? I know that you and I talked off the air and you mentioned how much you like Christopher Herndon, but do you think that he's somebody that might be able to offer a little something on top of Christopher Herndon? Yeah, I mean, I think you can probably put him down for like two or three catches a game, um, you know, so that'll come out to, what, 25 to 30, mid-30s catches a year, which sounds like it's not a lot, but for more of like a backup tight end, H-back, kind of fullback hybrid, um, I think what would be interesting, because I think he is a physical enough blocker to try this out, use him kind of like Kyle Juszczyk, who is a fullback, but they use him a lot as a receiver, you know, when they kind of do the slip routes and, you know, that famous spider to Y banana play that that seems like everywhere use check goes, that becomes a staple on first down as like a drive starter. I think you can do that with him, you know, use him a lot as uh, on those bootlegs where you get him in the flats and really kind of play up that, that 12 personnel, we're going to mash you and then throw it off play action kind of style that it seems like they're going for. In terms of personnel, that would, that's what I would do at least. So I think you can use him in that kind of Kyle Juszczyk way, list him as a tight end, but really use him as more of a fullback, H-back. And then Herndon, I think, is super talented. I think he's going to be the starting tight end. I, I'm really, really high on him. So to me, that's a really, really good duo. You throw in Le'Veon Bell, uh, Sam Darnold in his second year, I think he's going to be even better than he was at the end of 2018, which is saying a lot because he was great. Like there's there's definitely some pieces here. I think this can be a really effective offense. With respect to Wesco, how much do you think that he could help Le'Veon Bell in the running game and Sam Darnold in the passing game as far as his blocking is concerned? Oh, he's he's a really good blocker. He's super physical. And you know, to me, eighty percent of blocking is just effort and he gives you effort. I mean, he is a maniac. He attacks people in between the hashes, uh, both in pass protection and as a run blocker. Maybe he doesn't blow people off the ball as much as you want him to, but he certainly tries to, and to me, that's that's really big. So I think the big thing he has to work on is just kind of leverage in his blocks. And I don't just mean low pad level. I mean actually kind of hitting the right shoulder at the right time according to the timing and the intention of the play. Sometimes I noticed, you know, if he was like a lead blocker, um, he would kind of attack the wrong shoulder and kind of give the defender an angle to make a play. So... It's really more about kind of hitting the targets he needs to hit, which isn't a huge deal to me. Um, I think he can actually get there pretty quickly. So I think just looking at his effort as a blocker, to me, is very encouraging. I think you can uh, have him be a significant contributor as a rookie in 12 personnel packages. He's going to help out Le'Veon a lot. Again, might not put up crazy receiving stats, but I think all of his receptions, like his yards per reception are going to be really good because I think you're going to see him used a lot on play action and um, you know more trickier drive starter kind of plays. So overall, I, I like that pick a lot. 
you think he could be used to go one-on-one with some of the at least middle-of-the-road pass rushers? Because the Jets did that a lot with Eric Tomlinson, and more often than not, it didn't really go their way. Do you think Wesco could have better luck in that regard? If he improves his technique, yes. Um, as of right now, I'm not sure if I, like, let's say, you know, he's taking on Anthony Barr, blitzing up the A-gap, and he's responsible picking him up. I think Anthony is, he's got fantastic technique, and he's got length and explosiveness. I think he would tear a rookie Wesco up. But if Wesco improved his technique, um, maintained leverage, put his hands in the proper spot, you know, got inside his chest, I think he could hold up. Like, physically, I think he can hold up. But really, to me, it's just about technique. I don't know if he's there yet. Let's get to the fifth round now. And the only reason that the Jets had a fifth round pick is because they traded down in the fourth and took Wesco. So in the fifth, they got Blake Cashman. He's somebody who's had injury issues, but he's a multi-year starter. Some people said he wasn't that good of an athlete, but if you watch his film, he's better than some give him credit for. What are your thoughts on the Cashman pick? I mean, I had him as my third rated linebacker in this class. Wow. I thought he was going to be a second to third round pick. So to get him in the fifth, like, you know, if... (laughs) This this was honestly a better pick than Chikai Polite. It was a better pick than pretty much everybody but Quinnen. It was my second favorite pick of their whole class. Um, to me, he reminded me a lot of Chris Borland, if you remember him from the Niners a few years ago. He only played one year, but he was phenomenal as a rookie. Um, tremendous instincts, super explosive in short areas, can really get from hole to hole quickly. A um, little bit undersized. But when you look at the league these days, undersized linebackers are kind of the most dominant linebackers in the league, so that's not a huge deal to me. I think just when you look at his athleticism, which is superb, and you look at his instincts, his effort, like he, there's no reason to me he should have been there in the fifth round. Absolutely no reason. So that was a really a tremendous pick by them. It, it might be tough for him to find uh, snaps as a starter early on because the Jets linebacking core especially after signing CJ, is already pretty good, in my opinion. But he's going to be a demon on special teams. You know if any of your linebackers get hurt, he can slide in immediately, and I think they'll be just fine. I don't think you're going to see a huge drop-off. And then as the Jets kind of weigh contracts in the future, and they're trying to figure out where to save money, having a young, very cheap linebacker that you can put in immediately and feel good about it, that's going to help them with cap savings down the line. So in a lot of different ways, that was a fantastic pick. So you think that it's possible that, let's say, a year or two down the line, he could actually be starting next to C.J. Mosley if, say, Avery Williamson's contract runs out and the Jets decide to move on? 100%. Especially since C.J. just reset the linebacker market and Williamson would be looking for double-digit millions every year and you got to save money for Sam and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, Cashman to me is is basically one of their uh, their get out of jail free cards in terms of cap management in a couple of years. What is it about him that you think makes him a potentially good starter in this Greg Williams defense? What would he bring to the table? I know you talked a lot about his instincts and he's a pretty short tackler, but what are some other things that you look at that would make you think he could be a potential starter? Because the general consensus seems to be really good special team potential. Maybe he could stick as linebacker depth, but you seem to think more of him than that. Fluidity and explosiveness. Really good hips, really good short area quickness. He's the only linebacker on the Jets roster right now that I think could cover James White in space. The only one. CJ can't do it. He's not quick enough. He's not fluid enough. Avery, again, same thing, not not quick enough, not fluid enough. 
But Cashman, with his ability to open up his hips and drive, I mean, he just, he goes. As soon as he starts moving, he goes. I think when you put James White in the slot, that's the only guy I feel comfortable enough in that whole linebacking core to not get completely destroyed. And to me, that's extraordinarily valuable because James White has destroyed the Jets for, what, six, seven years now? Yes. Much longer than I would like to think about it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. That would be an excellent thing to be able to do, would be to stop guys like James White or whoever it is that Bill Belichick is able to put into that spot because it almost seems like he has a never-ending list of guys that he can find a way to use in those spaces. The next pick that the Jets had was in the sixth round. It was Blessing Austin out of Rutgers, but unfortunately there's just not a lot of tape on him because he was hurt so much, so we're going to move on from him. And go to the undrafted free agents. And there were a few that you did take a look at. You took a look at Battle. You took a look at Allison. You took a look at Dorch and a little bit of more. Why don't you break down those four guys for me and tell me what you think. But it sounds like you feel there's a chance that any of those four could stick as special teamers right off the bat. Yeah, you know, we were talking before we went on that if Dorch made it, it would be really as a returner because they've already got, you know, Jamison Crowder to be the starting slot receiver, which if he projects as a receiver would be in the slot most likely. I don't know if they're going to carry six receivers, but if they carry five and he makes it as the fifth, I think it would be as a returner. Um, Jamison can also return, like Crowder can also return, but if they want to kind of keep him healthy, which has been a concern in the past, maybe you kind of take that work away from him and give it to Dorch. So uh, I like that pickup a lot for them. Um, Jalen Moore who is competing probably with Cannon and Henderson for the third running back spot because you assume that Le'Veon and Ty Montgomery will be one and two. Um, At least, to me, Montgomery would be the number two. I think he can absolutely make this team because I think he's a much different runner than Montgomery. Uh, He's a lot more physical, not as explosive, maybe not as developed as a receiver, but he's a really kind of compact, uh, almost like a Ray Rice kind of build, where he's short, but he's really, really thick, got a whole lot of power, and kind of almost runs like a bowling ball. So I think he complements the, the group really well. I think you can uh, kind of, I don't want to say he's guaranteed to be the third running back, but I think he, to me, is most likely to win that job. Um, battle as a kind of depth safety. He's going to make the team on special teams. I think he's uh, he's probably going to make it on the coverage kickoff units uh, and punt kickoff units or punt coverage units. He's um, not super fast if you want to put him at gunner, but I think because he's so physical and he's such a sure tackler, I would be more than comfortable with him as being a gunner. Uh, so I think that's a good pick for them. And you know, overall, all these free agents. Um, if they make the team, it's going to be on special teams. And so I think when I look at all these different names, uh, especially kind of, you know, the linebackers and the safeties and the receivers, it's it's all about special teams. And the Jets special teams, in my opinion, could use help. So uh, they, they had a pretty good free agent class. A lot of free agents signed with them. Uh, I was going over the list before the show, and it was, it was more names than I expected. Um, but overall, considering they had so few draft picks, Um, getting all these free agents to help them on special teams is a pretty good job by them. Do you think that of the four that we discussed, Allison, Battle, Dorch, and Moore, 
any of those four have the potential to be more than just a special teamer? And I didn't mean to do a pun there with Jalen Moore and the word more. But do you think any of those four could potentially be valuable in the way that a Cashman could or a Wesco could as more than just somebody that comes in on special teams or in Dorch's case maybe as a kick returner? I think Dorch, if Jameson gets hurt, you could maybe argue Dorch as a starting caliber slot receiver just because of his, his quickness in space. I don't think he's as good of a route runner, um, but I think if you're kind of designing plays like, okay, we're going to run a drag out of a slot or um, you know maybe kind of bubble screens and that kind of stuff, just give him the ball underneath and kind of let him run with it, I think you can make that work. Um, and then more, let's say there's a worst-case scenario. Not hoping for this to happen, but let's say worst-case scenario – Le'Veon gets hurt because that's happened before. Ty Montgomery gets hurt because that's happened before. All of a sudden, you're starting, you know, Jalen Moore is your starting running back. I think you can make that work as well. Again, not super explosive, not great top-end speed, but he just kind of gets you yards. <laughs> if something's not blocked well, he's so physical, he can turn a three-yard gain into a five-yard gain. And to me, uh, that's incredibly valuable for a young quarterback like Sam Darnold, who you don't want to have him playing behind the sticks a lot. Uh, not that he's not that he can't handle it, but you really you really want him to have more third and fours than third and eights. And I think a runner of the style of Jalen Moore, I think, would give him those third and fours. He might not break off a whole lot of long runs, but he'll keep you on schedule, and that's incredibly important to me. Brett, overall, you don't have to necessarily give a grade because a lot of people don't like doing grades. But what do you think of how the Jets did? with their 2019 draft class, including some of the guys that they picked up as undrafted free agents? I would give him an A. Uh, wow. Quinnen, to me, is a is a franchise player. Uh, he's a Hall of Fame caliber talent. Don't know if he's going to go to the Hall of Fame, but I think of all the defensive tackles I've seen come out in the last five years, he's probably the one that's most likely to be that kind of guy. Uh, as confident as I felt about Quentin Nelson last year, that's how good I feel about Quentin Williams this year. So, uh, you know, Nelson was a, an all-pro in his first year, so I think Quentin has, has that kind of potential. Uh, the Cashman pick was phenomenal in terms of value, one of the, one of the best value picks uh, in the entire draft for any team, in my opinion. Uh, Polite was drafted exactly where he was supposed to be, so I'm glad they didn't end up reaching for him, getting that kind of edge depth in the third round. That's a really good value for them. They got a swing tackle and potentially a, a emergency guard if they need it. Um, they got a boatload of special teams help. They got a potential backup running back who might be able to be a, a spot starter in an emergency situation. Um, they got a really versatile kind of H-back fullback in Wesco that – to me, you can use him as a Kyle Juszczyk or maybe even eventually Delaney Walker if he gets better as a receiver. He, he's, he gives that kind of effort as a blocker that he, you could argue he's a Delaney Walker type of guy. So, you know, overall, top to bottom in this class, they got starters, they got depth, they got special teams help, and they got a, a future superstar out of it. So I, I personally can't complain with anything they did. If everything you just said is true, it's going to be kind of funny and ironic that Mike McCagnan got fired after what would be easily his best draft class, but we're going to see how this turns out. He is one of the very best at breaking down film. His videos are tremendous because not only is he at an expert level in breaking down footage, but his production values are great. So you put all of that together, and you should be watching every single one of his videos. Brett Coleman, thanks so much for coming on. 
For anybody that doesn't know where to find you, why don't you go ahead and let them know, and why don't you talk about some of the upcoming projects you have coming down the pike? Yeah, you can find me uh, on YouTube at Brett Coleman. Again, it's K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N, or just type in the film room at YouTube, and you'll probably see all my stuff pop up, uh, especially for any of the Jets-related stuff like Quinn and Williams and Sam Darnold. Uh, those are most recent Jets videos I've done. Uh, we're going to ignore the Christian Hackenberg one that I did a few years ago where I was massively wrong. Uh, sorry about that in advance, Jets fans. Um, but in terms of what I got coming this summer, I'm working on a Derwin James video because he is one of the best young safeties in the league, right up there with Jamal Adams. Uh, I've got Jalen Smith coming out. I might actually be doing one on Jamal and Marcus May as a duo later in the summer. So if that happens, I'm sure you guys will be interested in that. Uh, I got a lot of projects coming up. And um, as soon as I kind of get moved into my house and build out a studio, I'll be pumping out even more. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. Look at that. Making your way in the world, Brett Coleman. New house, new studio. Everything's coming up, Brett. And that is why his videos are only going to get better and better and better over time. So if you're not subscribed to his YouTube channel yet, go ahead and do that right now. And don't miss out on any of his future videos. Also, if there are any videos of his that you have not watched yet, go ahead and make sure you watch those. I've seen all of them. They're all great. In fact, the Sam Donald one is my favorite for obvious reasons. So go ahead to his YouTube channel. Subscribe and check out all his videos. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.